Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, Jan Glasveski was born and raised in South Africa, but was regularly told stories by his father about his grandfather's estate close to Lviv. Prior to World War II, that was Polish territory, but after the war and the erection of the Iron Curtain, it reverted to being part of Ukraine. And what was particularly intriguing to Jan was a story from his father that the family silver was buried there. And eventually Jan set out to find out. His memoir is called Blood and Silver. Afternoon, Jan. Good afternoon from McGregor in South Africa. Uh, Could you start by telling us something about your your grandfather's estate? What was there? Um, So my grandfather's estate was located... In the eastern part of then Poland, and I'm talking about before World War II, um, and he was really a businessman in Lviv, and he retired there early. But it was my father, as a young man, he went to train in horticulture in France, and he had just come back and started farming in the last year or two, as well as marrying my mother. And, uh, And so he was farming. He was the first person in Poland to plant and make his own, to plant vines and make his own wine. Um, But he also planted vegetables. He used to talk about that and other things. And my grandfather was just the the sort of uh, promoter of this whole enterprise because my father had uh, three brothers and one of them was trained in, in, in fruit canning and the other one was a priest and the fourth one was a geologist, a petrogeologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so at what point did uh, your father and your uncles decide that it was it had become too dangerous to remain there? Well, what happened was in September, on the 1st of September 1939, uh, the Germans attacked from the west, attacked Poland. But the, the my grandfather's manor house and estate was located in the east of Poland, near the Russian border. So they weren't too worried at that point. But they were listening to the BBC on Sunday lunch. One, my one uncle could understand English. And um, they heard that the Russians were mobilizing. And because the Russian border was close by, they then made a quick decision to leave, thinking they would come back very quickly, very soon, after a small war. Um, but of course, that never happened. Yeah. I, I, but <clears throat> your grandfather decided to remain. Yes. So my grandfather refused to leave. He uh, wanted to stay in his homeland. And um, I mean, the feeling at the time was that it was going to be a small war and that everybody would be come back and be reunited. Many years later, my father had just married my mother, actually. And many years later, I heard that um, my mother took the old linen and when they fled, thinking they must leave the good linen behind. But of course, that never happened. They never came back. My grandfather... Soon after the Russians arrived, he was um, subject. He was about to be executed because they were doing that to the landowners in the district. Some had been executed, and he was being led to the forest. But the people that worked on the farm, the laborers, um, they persuaded the Russians not to kill my grandfather. And I heard the story firsthand, not only from my father, but also from an old lady that I, ninety-one-year-old lady that I that I met when I went there um, in 2019. Mm. And when, and now your family, you were born in South Africa because that's where your your father and mother ended up. 
At what stage did your father mention that there may be silver buried in the grounds there? Well, I was born in South Africa in 1953. And throughout my childhood, I, I heard about his life. Not only, he didn't talk about it much, but every now and then he would talk about life in Poland. Um, and it, of course, I pricked up my ears when he mentioned the silver being, the family silver being buried somewhere where my grandfather lived. Incidentally, my grandfather lived till 1960, but his sons, including my father, never saw him again because he was behind communist lines, behind the Iron Curtain. And um, they could only communicate by smuggled letters. And so he, although he lived for another 20 years, they never saw him. Yeah. Did he remain on the estate, actually, your grandfather? No, no, he was told to leave and not go back to the manor house. So he stayed with his workers for a while, and then he went back to Lviv. Well, then it was called Lviv, but now it's Lviv in the western Ukraine. You would have heard about it in the news. Mm. And he lived in a basement, basement flat where he um, spent the rest of his years. Right, okay. So w when your father came to draw a map um, of, of, of where the silver was located, how detailed was that map? So um, the map, if you if you look at my book, is really um, looks like a spider with ink on, ink on its legs walked <laughs> across a piece of paper. Um, it's a very very rough sketch map. It shows in the one corner where the village is, then you go, and then in the middle of it, it shows the where the manor house was, and then there's a dotted line from the yard that went around the manor house to the forest and about. When I got there, I realized this dotted line is about 150 meters. And then my father's accompanying instruction said, you must walk down the slope and where the forest starts, you must dig. And um, of course, 80 years later, <laughs> one doesn't know whether the forest has come up or if it's receded. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I thought this was just a kind of a hopeless situation, but I thought I would at least give it a try. Yeah, and did much of the of the buildings that were there originally are they still there? Were they still there when you visited? So there were some some kind of ruins of the old barn, but as I say, the manor house was gone. But during the communist era, that was from World War Two, when the borders were moved. By the way, I should have mentioned that mm. at Yalta, straight after the war, that whole area and including Lviv was now in the in the in the Soviet Union. And so that stayed there. So it was a communist farm for a while, um, a collective farm. They built a new structure there, a new kind of long shed, which is still there. Um, and so all that remains from those days is an old stone barn, which I have a photograph of. Yeah. And since I've been, it's probably been fallen down into dis further disrepair. And as I understand it, though, that you, you did uh, um, get the assistance of a, of a local Ukrainian woman with a metal detector. Um, I met a, I met a, a Ukrainian stroke Polish woman. She's Ukrainian but married to a Polish person, and she helped me find a metal detector man. And so we, this man helped me because without a metal detector, it was just a hopeless job. And it was very nice to have some a local person because, because he could speak the language and so on. And I didn't want to be like a foreigner foraging around in a forest. In the in the Ukraine, yes, and and when you found everything, did did you have an idea of what would what, what would have been buried there? Well, no, I didn't. I just imagined that it would have been 
whatever silver is probably on your mantelpiece. And I thought there'd be a small amount. But I was absolutely amazed when I found it to find that there was a huge amount of it, maybe 20 kilograms of candlesticks and cutlery and a silver tray and coffee, little coffee cups. And what was amazing, what I realized by looking at the family crest, not only was our family crest on it, but there was sort of previous generations. So my cousin in Poland, who's interested in the family background, she identified the, the family crest of my great aunt going back, you know, going back generations. This belonged to your great grandmother. This is to your great aunt and so on. So that was quite exciting and unexpected. But the most emotional find was a silver christening spoon with my father's name engraved on it. Mm. So this is very much part of your uh, family's past. Did uh, uh, And when you found it all, did you have to go through a process of proving to the Ukrainian authorities that you were the rightful owner of it? Um, you know, the uh, I didn't want to do that because... Um, I didn't, didn't want to go through all the Ukrainian bureaucracy. Uh, I didn't, you know, and so it was difficult. So I got it. I got it out into Poland by diplomatic means. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> okay, we won't press any further on that. And is it with you today now in, in South Africa? Um, I brought a few little pieces. The spoon I mentioned, a few pieces back to South Africa, but the bulk of it is in Poland. And I have to decide what to do with it. And my idea is to to give it back to the Ukraine now um, and put it in a museum along with the story of my father and my father's life in, in then Poland, now Ukraine, and, and what happened to him. So that would be a lovely thing to do. But it's a bit practically difficult at the moment with the with the war going on Indeed. to negotiate with the Ukrainian authorities. But I'm biding my time. Uh, nonetheless, it's a fascinating story. The name of the memoir is Blood and Silver. Jan Glasveski, thank you very much for speaking with us today. Thank you very much, Sean. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk.